You're listening to A Prophet, a collaboration between Sakhlain and Al-Hujja Islamic Seminary. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming our patron by donating at sakhlain.org support. The next point that we will discuss about the biography of the Prophet and this is indeed one of the interesting aspects of his seerah, is that even though the Prophet came with a new system, with a new order, with a new religion, you know, that unjust, uncivilized order in Arabia was changed by the Prophet. The Prophet made it into a civilized society. One of the interesting aspects of the Prophet's seerah is that he did not try to disrupt all the systems and all the rulers simply because he wanted to appoint his own people. Normally, many kings, rulers, that's what they do. When they bring a new system, all the regional governors, the mayors, what have you, anyone who's in any position of power, they depose them and they replace them with someone else. The Prophet ﷺ, when he saw others having an established system of governance or social position, he made it clear to them that they can stay where they are. They can maintain that social position. They can maintain that political position. And he won't change anything about their system, provided that they treat their people justly and equally. He would make it very clear to them. Don't be a valim. Don't be unjust, I'll keep you. You're a mayor, stay as a mayor. You're a regional king in that area, stay as a regional king. You're a bishop, you have social standing, I'll keep you where you are. I'm not here to disrupt the entire system and replace everyone. But I just want one thing from you. I don't want you to pray and fast and go to Hajj. No, of course that's ideal. Just be just. Be adil, be just, I'll keep you where you are. Isn't that amazing? Where do you know in history of a similar example of someone leading a revolution and keeping those good ones in power? Normally they depose everyone, they replace the whole system. Yalla, my party, they're going to rule. My men are going to rule. That's not what the Prophet did. Let's examine some examples here. Ibn Sa'ad, he mentions this in his Tabaqat. Ibn Sa'ad is a Sunni historian. He mentions this in his book, At-Tabaqat. The Prophet ﷺ sent a letter to the Bishop of Najran. His name was Bani Al-Harith ibn Ka'b. And also the other Bishops of Najran. You've heard about the story of the Christians of Najran, right? They're to the south of Mecca in the Yemeni area, Yemeni Hijaz area, there was a Christian community. And they had their priests. They had their bishops. The Prophet sent them a letter, and also to their monks. And anyone who follows them, he told them that whatever you have at your disposal, whether it's a lot or it's small, and whatever you have from the churches, from your, you know, the monks, they, they stay in certain monasteries, right? 
all those monasteries, all those churches, whatever you have, whatever social status that you have, and you are our neighbors because you're not too far from Mecca and Medina. And I will not remove any of your bishops. I will not remove any of your monks on this condition. As long as you're sincere and you do not become a ghalim, don't oppress anyone, I will keep you as you are. No bishop am I going to ask him, stand, stand down, remove for, for, from your power. Just be just. Isn't this rational? See, the prophet was a reformer. He came to change that state. But he also understand that these people for a long time, they have their social position. I'm not going to disrupt that just because I want to replace them with my own people. Be just, no volo. Don't harass your subjects. Don't oppress your subjects. I'll keep you where you are. Isn't that fascinating? So this is one beautiful example of the Prophet not disrupting the entire system. The second example is with the Persian ruler Kesra. Kesra was the Persian ruler who was basically ruling Persia at the time. Modern day Iran and even more vast than that. Kesra had a governor in Yemen. So the Persian ruler, Kesra, he had a governor in Yemen. His name is Badan. His name was Badan. He told Badan, go to the Prophet, this Muhammad, and bring him as a captive to me, as an Asir. Arrogant. He's acting arrogantly. <laughs> so Badan sent two of his men with a letter to the Prophet, and Badan the governor of Kesra, he told the Prophet, you better surrender and come to me as a captive. When the Prophet read the letter, he didn't rage and start cursing them that like normally kings would do or they have them beheaded right away. <laughs> the Prophet smiled. Then he told the two men, tell Badan, the governor who sent you, look, my religion is going to spread so wide that even the area of Persia and these others will one day become Muslim. In other words, you're threatening me to come and surrender. Don't worry, Allah is with me. Then the Prophet tells Badan, the governor of Kesra, in Aslamta, if you are the one who submits to the truth, and you establish justice in your area. I will let you keep whatever you have, the kingdom that you have, and you can stay the ruler in your region. Then the Prophet gave those two men gifts, showing them that, look, I don't want a problem with you guys. We can collaborate to establish justice in society. If you'd like to collaborate with me, I'm not going to fight you. See, that's how the Prophet would deal with those around him. So the Prophet basically gave them a very, very expensive belt made from gold and silver that one of the kings had sent to the Prophet. The Prophet obviously is not going to wear something like that. So he sent it to Badan. Just to show him that I am not here to fight. I want to here to establish justice. If you'd like to collaborate, I'm not going to depose you. 
I don't have any intentions to replace you with someone else. But yes, if you want to be unjust, we'll have to replace you. So this is the second or third example. The next example is with the ruler of Bahrain. Bahrain is an island, right? In the Persian Gulf. When the Prophet was once returning from the village of Ja'arana, which is not too far from Mecca, Medina, the Prophet sent Al-Ala ibn al-Hadrami to who? To Al-Munzir ibn Sawi al-Abdi. He was the ruler of Bahrain. This man, Al-Munzir ibn Sawi al-Abdi, was the ruler in Bahrain. The Prophet ﷺ invited him to the religion of Islam and he sent him a letter. So the Prophet ﷺ sent him a letter. That ruler sent the Prophet a response. He gave him the letter. He told the Prophet, I have read your letter. And some of them have accepted Islam. They said, we want to become Muslims. But some of them, they are Majus and Yahud. The Jews and the Majus, the, Zoro the Zoroastrians. They don't want to. So what do I do? Do I force them? The Prophet said, no, don't force them. The people of the book, the Majus and the Yahud, they can pay the jizya tax and they can live under your protection. You see how the Prophet kept the governor of this place, of Bahrain, and he did not depose him? This shows you that the Prophet ﷺ had respect for those people who were in power, if they were just. Now the Prophet ﷺ, by the way, even though he was very firm on the path of Allah ﷻ, but he also did show respect to those non-Muslim rulers. He was not arrogant with them. He didn't treat them arrogantly. When he wanted to invite them to the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When he would send those kings letters, he would show respect to them. Why do you think the Prophet showed them respect, even though some of them were arrogant? And they never ended up accepting Islam, and they even fought the Prophet later. Like some of the Christian rulers, or some of the Persian rulers. Why do you think the Prophet showed them respect? Someone could say, well, this is... Uh, you know, out of weakness. With a big king like that, you have to be arrogant. He's teaching them how a ruler should be, number one. Number two, the Prophet doesn't want them to object on the day of judgment and make up an excuse for not becoming a Muslim by saying that the Prophet that you sent us was arrogant. So he never attracted us to your religion. See, Allah doesn't want that. So on the day of judgment, if they have rejected Islam, Allah says, you have no excuse. I sent you the most humble human being. What's your excuse for not believing in him? So that's the, the, the second reason. The third reason that what the Prophet would even send them letters is to introduce them that, hey, I'm a Prophet. I'm sent by Allah. Imagine if the Prophet had not done that. On the day of judgment, they could say, Allah, how do we know? We heard some guy in Arabia claim, he never communicated with us. He never introduced himself to us. See, Allah doesn't want excuses for the unbelievers on the day of judgment. For this reason, the Prophet would send them letters. So I'll give you an example of two letters. When the Prophet ﷺ sent a letter to Kesra, the king of Persia, the Prophet starts the letter with this opening statement. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. 
من محمد رسول الله from Muhammad the messenger of Allah okay now the prophet gave himself a title I'm the messenger of Allah the prophet did not belittle him like some people would do like if you know you're on the truth and the other one is an unbeliever you just try to belittle them and be arrogant with them the prophet said ila kasra azimi faris this is a letter from Muhammad the messenger of God to Kasra, the great of Persia, the great one of Persia. You see the respect in the Prophet's words? Look, that guy is not a Muslim. He is not a believer. He may be a pagan in, in, in Persia at the time. They were I, idol worshippers. But because he's the king of Persia, the Prophet is inviting him to Islam in a beautiful way. So he never can come up with the excuse, this prophet was arrogant, he never even reached out to me. No, the prophet reached out to you and he even called you Alimi Faris. He's recognizing your political greatness. And then the prophet also sent a letter to Caesar, the emperor of Rome, and he told him the following, Min Muhammad ibn Abdullah, this is from Muhammad, the son of Abdullah. Look, even with Caesar, he doesn't even tell him Rasulullah. I am Muhammad, the son of Abdullah. Because he had already knew this prophet is claiming to be a messenger. Ila Hirqil. Hirqil in English is who? Heracles. Not Hercules, the, the warrior, right? The one who had... Uh, yeah. There is Heracles, which is Hirqil which was one of the names of those Caesars or the emperors. He tells him, Ila Hirqil, Heraculus, Azim al-Rum, the great one of, of Rome. See the respect that the Prophet would show. So that's really, really fascinating when you look at the life of the Prophet that he did not come to disrupt the social system. Selfish people, people who work for dunya, you just want your party to be in power. Not the Prophet. He made it very clear. Anyone who stays just, they don't oppress their subjects, I'll keep you in power. By the way, Imam Ali did the same thing. When he rose to the Caliphate, those governors, you know, there were, there were tens and tens and tens of governors. Imam Ali did not depose them from power. Those who seemed to be good, the Imam kept them until they made violations. Yes, Muawiyah, the Imam did not allow him to continue because Muawiyah had made it very clear that he is ruling Syria unjustly. And he's violating the law of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imam, the Imam told him, I'm not going to negotiate with you. You are, you are a corrupt ruler. But other governors, the Imam did not depose them. Those who accuse Imam Ali salam of having a personal problem with Muawiyah, طيب, why does he have a personal problem with Muawiyah? The Imam kept tens of other governors in power. So why didn't he keep Muawiyah in power if he did with others? Because Muawiyah was very corrupt. And the Imam could not accept that. Because keeping Muawiyah in power meant sanctioning and accepting his injustice. And the Imam would never do that.